Can you imagine what it feels like to be a Canadian soccer player as Peter Pendergast blows the whistle? It's official. Canada 2000 Gold Cup champions. How does that sound? You're listening to the Northern Football Podcast with Peter Galindo and Thomas Neff. This is the Northern Football Podcast. I'm Peter Galindo. He is Thomas Neff. Lots to discuss today, as usual, after a ridiculously crazy week. Uh, but first, Thomas, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing great. We have, we got lots to discuss. Um, CPL finally doing uh, finally unveiling uh, the salary cap expansion team in Saskatoon. Uh, we got also audio uh, from uh, Mauro Biello, a media call, and uh, Canadians abroad as usual. For sure. Lots to discuss. We'll start, though, with uh, the CPL expanding to Saskatoon, or so we think. On Friday, the CPL announced that Living Sky Sports had been awarded the rights to a franchise pending approval of a stadium project in Saskatoon's Prairie Land Park in the south of the city. Founder uh, of Living Sky Sports, Alan Simpson, said that he's confident of a 2023 start. Uh, The stadium will apparently seat about 4,000, maybe up to 5,000. The details on that are not yet written in stone um and commissioner commissioner dave clanikin said that the league was introduced to simpson about a year ago and then talks just sort of progressed from there firstly though thomas th- this seemingly came as a surprise because by all accounts a saskatchewan club wasn't happening in the near future so how surprised were you by this announcement given that no one seemed to have this information Oh, very surprised. Uh, the move came out of nowhere. Uh, very, very, very few people had this information. Um, they made a great job to keep this very quiet. Uh, not just them, but the league itself. Uh, we have another club in, in the prairies in the in the Midwest. But it's interesting because I actually uh, had interviewed uh, Joe Ballin, um, who, who helped run the Saskatchewan Soccer Summer Series. And he was part of a three-man team. And I interviewed him back in 2019. Uh, so everyone knew that, you know, Saskatchewan, Saskatoon specifically, was vying for a CPL club, uh, along with uh, Fraser Valley, who were the other teams that were also uh, reported in the west of Canada, with the other teams being uh, out, in, out in the Atlantic and uh, Quebec. Uh, but interestingly enough, uh, there were also several reports that they had split up, the, the owners had split up in their own ways, and, and Saskatoon... Um, from what everyone had heard, wasn't even in, in the running of uh, one or two teams. So definitely comes as a surprise for sure. Um, 2023 is, is long the way. So they ha- they got a lot of work to do uh, to really make this a reality. And again, it's a conditional acceptance. So at the end of the day, uh, it's not like uh, something in the short term. In, in a way, it's, it's kind of like uh, when Miami uh, was given an MLS, an MLS team. Yeah, exactly. That's actually what I was going to say. That is a very good comparison because uh, I, I think they were actually unveiled, what was it, 2013 or 14, and then they didn't end up coming into the league until 2020 just because of all the bureaucratic red tape in Miami and trying to find a stadium and, and trying to figure that out. It took forever. Um, it seems like at the very least it might be a bit of a quicker process in Saskatoon. I'm not familiar with Saskatchewan legislation especially when it comes to projects like this but i'm pretty sure right after the the rights were awarded um there was a story that came out that uh the horse racing was going to be shut down in prairie land park right as 
they were in negotiations to bring the team to Saskatoon. So that, I guess, kind of one goes hand in hand with the other. And you would imagine the project gets pushed through and then it officially gets unveiled and or uh, introduced to the league. In terms of future expansion, Thomas, because we probably can't talk too, too much about Saskatoon in terms of, you know, what it's going to look like and all this, because we just don't really know until it's official. It's obviously big for the province. It's big for the city. It, it kind of makes CPL a, you know, quote unquote, coast to coast league. But um, there is one glaring omission, and that's obviously Quebec. And I think a lot of people were looking at Quebec as potentially that market where they were going to expand to um, until it, of course, ended up being Saskatoon. So what do you think this means for future expansion, given what we've heard and what uh, Dwayne Rollins told us last week? Because uh, I don't know if you heard this, Thomas, but before there were some reports leaking out that the CPL could unveil two teams for 2022, and that could actually still happen theoretically. Um, do, do you think it does, or do you think that this is it for expansion for the next little while? Well, for the next little while, as in this year, um, there's definitely no teams going to be announced uh, in 2021, um, I don't think. But I could definitely see two teams announced for 2022. For me, I think Quebec City is... Um, Priority number one, uh, if not uh, in Laval, uh, Montreal area. Quebec, I've said it already, uh, both publicly and privately, it's a province that absolutely uh, deserves a club. And uh, so much talent uh, out there in Quebec. Uh, They have a a very interesting culture there. Uh, One that, unfortunately, because of the language, uh, gets gets missed a lot. Uh, If I had to pick uh, two cities uh, to be... To, to be the next two lined up, I think it would be Laval and Quebec City. Yeah, I would definitely be open to a Quebec market coming into the league. I think it's, it's absolutely necessary. It's overdue. And I think the league, remember when the um, CPL Shield was unveiled and there was no writing in French on it initially? That just kind of shows you how much of an oversight the French-speaking market has been. So that alone will be massive. Um, Because then you're incorporating all aspects of Canada into it. And if you want it to be a truly Canadian league, then you need a a team in Quebec. I'm sorry. The Fraser Valley is, you know, probably still not going to go away. That is supposedly uh, a marketing contention. They're looking to put it in Langley. And I believe I saw a report, I think it was from Manuel Veth, actually, that the Bundesliga was looking at investing into the CPL in some capacity. And I think the Fraser Valley was potentially one of those teams that they would look at and and potentially investing into most importantly thomas i feel in this whole expansion news that that we're talking about is i think the financial side of it and it leads us nicely into our next topic but how much do you think that this uh saskatoon news will help the league financially provided they are officially a member of the league well, we already know that the um, the expansion fee is eight to ten million. So this will this will definitely help the the league um, due to the fact that we are living in a pandemic. Um, so that will give uh, the league more resources uh, for other things. Absolutely. But speaking of the financials, since we are so thin on details yes. about the Saskatoon yes. team, uh, the CPL uh, finally, you know, publicly announcing um, making the salary cup. Uh, known uh, something that I think it's very very positive a step forward a call for transparency something that fans media and other other people were looking for finally gets done um, uh, not only uh, uh, because of um, they gave an interview out to Canadian press 
but they also announced it uh, on their own uh, social media platforms. Uh, the combined salary is 1.2 million per club, 650 to 850k in player compensation, and 350k to 550k on staff, 40k uh, per player on average, including housing. Highest compensation is 77,000, and player minimum is 22,000, 26,000 uh, with bonuses. Yeah, also known that you know it cost four million to run a club uh, per the official news. Um, I think it's a great positive thing. I think it's a step forward in, in the league in terms of um, transparency. But I definitely do think they could they could even go further. Um, but it's a positive first step. Um, what's your takeaways from this, Peter? Well, it, it is positive, but my really big question is why did it take all this commotion and this storm of oh they're not paying the players enough and you know the the pfa finally becoming a a thief pro member and all this stuff for them to finally release it why couldn't they have released it sooner and then gotten out in front of this story or gotten out in front of this controversy and just put it all to rest there like the fact that they were and i'm not going to go all the way out and say that they were forced to do this because of this but you have to imagine that was part of the motivation for releasing it was just to quell the uprising now it's it's good to to see this on paper it's good to see it all put out and now we know all right certain players are going to make this much this is what the money's going towards this is how much money it costs to run a team and all of this, I think it's just good for just the public to know, because at least now there aren't any secrets, they're not trying to hide anything, although you imagine that there may be some aspects that they could still cover up, like, you know, are they really offering players less than that uh, average player minimum? Because keep in mind, average player minimum is 22000 so that indicates to me they are paying players less than that. At the end of the day, if it's costing you $4 million to run a club and you only have, you know, a certain amount of investment and owners can only put in so much into the clubs, I guess that's what you come out with. They just need the the clubs and the league to just make more money to put more capital into the players. I think it's just simply put, that's what they have to do. Thomas, interesting to me too, they did confirm that they made money at the Island Games, which you had reported, uh, I believe it was on episode one that you talked about this. They, they do have some pretty big sponsors on board still, uh, despite the pandemic. So you feel like the money is there. It's just a matter of when will the players start to see their share and when are they going to talk to um, the players union, which I think leads us nicely into this topic and hat tip to uh, Edward Hong Sing Wong at Edward H.S. Wong for uh, alerting everybody to this, but it appears that the CPL has hired law firm Hicks Morley to represent them on labor matters. The firm is also employed by the CFL, so the CPL might have just done this out of convenience, but the Hicks Morley website says they advise their clients on collective bargaining strategies and employment contracts and the like, but there's also some concerning stuff surrounding the law firm, like trying to get union labor leaders expelled, which uh, Edward touched on. Uh, They also host workshops, apparently, on how employers can protect themselves from human rights complaints and sexual assault claims and the like, which, you know, just in terms of PR alone, doesn't really look that great. But Thomas, what do we read into this, if anything, given that the salary info is now out there and there's still no progress in talks with the players' union. Well, there is one thing I would say. I think maybe the the league is trying to make uh, amends, uh, perhaps on their own terms. They're they're kind of trying to to create a, a positive image on not only on themselves but but on the clubs. 
Um, I think it, it has to come with with the players' union. Every every league uh, has a players' union. I don't think it would be a bad thing to just recognize them. In a way, this is a step forward uh, that they are making this public. Uh, but there, there's definitely more work that can be done. Uh, in a way, you also have to remember too um, uh, that the CPL is in the long run as well. So it's not just because just because some things are not being done this year doesn't mean that they're not going to get done uh, in the future. But there's also some things that can be done right now. So, I mean, if they can do it right now, I don't see why postpone it. The CPL right now is in an interesting position um, because let's not forget that when 2026 uh, comes in, uh, when Canada co-hosts the World Cup with Mexico and the U.S., Canada soccer will get a lot of FIFA dollars. And so even if the CPL does lose money, even if if you combine all those losses, um, the FIFA dollars that will come in, uh, you will, will, um, if it goes to the owners, essentially, uh, the money will be uh, reinvested into the game. So it's not something that the CPL is in a, in a is in a position. Some people may think that, oh, you know, the CPL is close to folding. No, the CPL is not close to folding. Uh, David Klanik has said this many, many times that they are in the long run, uh, in a long term project commitment, and they're going to be here for a while. So um, this is just a step in, in uh, a step forward for sure. And even let's just not even forget uh, one thing is the financials, but the other thing is the fanatics, right? Uh, uh, how many people have have been on? Uh, how many hockey fans they like to go on on Spotrac.com, you know, to see players' contracts, yeah. you know. <laughs> and yeah. it's funny because these these things, uh, the contracts are not even uh, public yet, you know. Uh, we we don't know uh, how much uh, this player a two year contract, three year contract. Uh, usually in the press release it says multi year contract with an option. But what does that mean? Yeah. How many years? What's yeah. the option? But I think it would be cool. I think mostly for fans. And also helps media too. Um, otherwise, uh, you're just sort of left with the official numbers per se, the official information. But it would be cool. It would be cool to kind of see how much, what's the players' contracts, what are what are the what are the managers uh, officially making? Uh, just because the numbers are officially out there on averages and what they're making, it's still not public on how much each player is making specifically. Exactly, which is a very pivotal part of it because even MLS does this, right? And, you know, it may not be completely accurate, but at least you have a ballpark number of what these players earn in compensation or in base salary, what have you. Um, in, in terms of hiring Hicks Morley to represent them on labor matters, I'm going to reserve judgment until I think all of this plays out. But I think the fact they've hired a law firm, at the very least means that they're willing to talk to the players, which I think is a good sign. Now, we haven't seen any progress on that front, but maybe in the next couple of months we'll see something and they'll finally get something done because the fact it hasn't happened yet is really unfortunate, but maybe now there will be progress on that front. All right, moving on, Thomas. Club de Foot Montreal, formerly known, of course, as the Montreal Impact. I'm never going to get used to saying that. Uh, They've officially announced the hiring of Wilfred Nancy, a longtime member of the club's coaching staff in some capacity. Uh, as the club's new head coach, about two weeks after Thierry Henry departed, and there's also confirmation that they're going to be playing in Fort Lauderdale at Inter-Miami's home for the coming season. Uh, now all three Canadian clubs knowing where they're going to play. That is correct, and to help us break it down, we welcome our friend and colleague Tristan Demores. Uh, Tristan has covered uh, Montreal and Canadian soccer for the MLS uh, Soccer website, Pro Soccer USA, CPL 
website in French. He also goes on TSN 690 in Montreal regularly, has his own podcast, Grum Podcast, and you can follow him on Tristan DeMores on Twitter. Tristan, thanks much for coming on. Well, my pleasure, guys. Thanks for the invite. So, uh, Wilfred Nancy, as, as Peter just mentioned, uh, replaces his former boss after Thierry Henry uh, left the club, uh, rumored to go to Bournemouth. Uh, that isn't the case. He, he returns to London uh, to be with his family. Um, given that, uh, Montreal will be playing in Florida uh, for the time being. Um, was that alone the justification uh, for the appointment of Nancy? All of those things that you mentioned were inevitable. I mean, we're not going to question Thierry Henry's decision. It's personal. It's family reasons. Uh, he didn't seem like he wanted to leave, uh, at least from Montreal's perspective. That happened. It's unfortunate. Fort Lauderdale is another thing. You know, it, again, is unfortunate. But, uh, you know, all three Canadian teams are going to have to do that, at least in the foreseeable future. As for hiring Wilfred Nancy, you know, there were uh, a few um, few names on the short list. Uh, a few managers from, from Europe as well uh however uh they went with in essence it is continuity uh because uh nancy's philosophy really blends into the mo uh or the philosophy of cf montreal and by that i say the philosophy of uh technical director olivier renard because olivier renard now more than ever uh, because the big name isn't there anymore. He is what represents CF Montreal. The drive of this team is going to go with the vision that the Belgian has. And uh, Wilfred Nancy, who uh, comes in on a one-year deal with options um, that will transition into a two-year deal if CF Montreal makes the playoffs, but can go uh, farther than that, really brings a... Um, um, a similar yet different aspect, and I'll explain myself. Similar in the, in the sense that, as I said, uh, the philosophies match. Um, we're not going to see a completely different team than the one that we saw under Thierry Henry. That is, uh, that's definitely a, cer a certainty. Different in the sense that Wilfred Nancy is uh, coming from the uh, from the academy system. He joined. Well, he immigrated to Canada and then joined the Montreal Impact Academy to then further his, I guess, coaching career under former uh, academy director Philippe Lafroy. That's where he gets his uh, soccer brain, his intelligence, because he's a very eloquent and intelligent man, even though he doesn't speak all that much. We didn't hear all that much from him uh, during his time as an assistant coach. Second, he learned off of four different coaches, Mauro Biello, Remy Gald, Wilmer Cabrera, and, and Thierry Henry. And he knew that this was his time. Uh, he admitted that if he wasn't going to be picked as the next head coach, he would have stayed on as an assistant. But he was, he, he was saying that it was time for him to become a head coach, and that's what he wanted to do. And so I think it's a very um, good moment for Nancy to uh, take on this team. And most importantly, his players have his respect from day one. And that's a big, big thing when you're when you're talking about a year that's not normal again, a year where players are going to be coming in and out and, uh, and players not going to be playing in their home. So I think that's really important when it comes to uh, the new head coach. 
Well, for sure. Um, and, and part of, I guess, the continuity, if you want to call it that, Tristan, I guess includes tactics, right? And I guess tactically speaking, does this indicate that Montreal, given the signings and everything else, that they're going to stick with the 3-5-2 or the 3-4-3, whatever you want to call it, from last season? That's a very interesting question uh, because... Quite frankly, I, I'm I'm not sure I'm tooled enough to really answer that thoroughly because one journalist hasn't haven't been um, haven't been at training uh, since March of 2020, uh, and there's a lot of new arrivals. Looking at it on paper, you could sense that this squad that Olivier Renard brought to former uh, former coach Henri, now current coach. Um, uh, Nancy has the potential to go back to this, but one thing I found really interesting in the uh, few press availabilities that uh, Wilfred Nancy uh, gave media is um, one of the things he really wants from this club is to put the squad in a mindset where the players can express themselves as freely as they can. Um, and to really take advantage of their strengths. Now, does that mean that uh, the best formation in order for the players to really express themselves is the three at the back? Looking at the squad, you could you could sense that there could be. Um, there's two very good wingbacks uh, in Mustafa Kisa and Zach Broguia. Uh, and then you add a guy uh, like Zoran Basson, uh, silent G, I've learned, to the mix uh, in terms of uh, having players that could potentially fit that bill. So maybe you have this, and then you have Kamal Miller coming in to basically replace Yuka Raitala, uh, and it seems like he's going to play more of a center-back role. So you have the tools to potentially have a three at the back and have two effective wing-backs. And I haven't even mentioned the uh, Lassie Lapalainen coming back and um, you know whatever is going to happen with Balu Tabla in this you know season where he's 21 and and potentially is it his last year anyway. Uh, so a lot of new additions, but if you look at it on paper, they could go back to that if they want to continue on the on the um, on the wave that they've been going through in 2020. And uh, Tristan uh, Montreal also confirmed uh, for their home of 21 2021. Uh, to be at Inter-Miami Stadium. Um, how do you feel about this? Obviously, uh, Vancouver playing out of Rouse Salt Lake, out of, um, Lake Stadium and uh, Toronto as well. Uh, TFC also choosing Florida as their location. Well, what's funny is that Fort Lauderdale probably has the second biggest Quebecois population in the world. So huh. I don't know if they're going to feel all that foreign. <laughs> but, uh, you know, what What else could you do? Like, I don't have an answer for you guys, mate. Honestly, because uh, what's normal? What's the best idea? Is it going back to Jersey? Is it going to Utah? I don't know. Uh, the only thing that I find a little odd is that um, the rebrand gave this club an all-black home kit, and they're going to play in the summer months in Florida. So that is probably going to be a little weird. The players themselves uh, have told us that there's definitely going to be some adapting when it comes to playing in Florida in the summer because Florida's, Florida in the summer is uh, is definitely not Montreal, uh, even though Montreal can get really humid and warm in the summer months. 
there's going to be a lot of adapting to do. Uh, but there's also a lot of young players on this squad. So maybe adapting to the heat won't be as bad as if impact squads from years past where, you know, you had a lot of 30 year olds, a lot of, uh, t you know, older, you know, late thir late 20s, early 30s. And then going into, you know, at this point, this club had Rod Fanny, who like somehow still played well at the age of like 38, 39. Uh, so you don't have that. So it's going to be easier to adapt. However, I mean, it's not Montreal. It's never going to be Montreal. Um, but at least you have two other teams with you in that weird, normal, not normal situation. Yeah, and it puts them at a bit of a disadvantage. And I mean, both, well, all the clubs experienced this last year, and yet two of them made the playoffs. One was very close to making the playoffs. Yes, expanded format, but either way, they should all be commended for having to deal with, with all that nonsense last year and, and as well as this year. On the same sort of subject, Tristan, you were on an avail with the team's fitness coach, uh, who'd be familiar, of course, with the uh, regimen for the players and in, in getting them ready for this strange season. What were your takeaways from it? Uh, it was thoroughly interesting to hear what they've had, uh, what they have planned. Uh, Jules Guéguin, the uh, fitness coach, uh, was basically saying that, you know, uh, he's only been on the job for two years. And uh, given the pandemic situation, it felt like he's been going through five or six training camps in two years, which is incredible. They've definitely uh, learned from 2020. You feel like this team has... Uh, They've tripped and they fell uh, a lot last year. Uh, they, in their mind, they were physically strong for the first time since March in this little weird Canadian championship setup that MLS had planned. And then they've always felt on a catch up. So this team has learned from this uh, moment. However, uh, there's a new, there's this new situation now where. We're at the third week of training, and when uh, when Wilfred Nancy wasn't even named head coach, he had said that there's a plan with the fitness department about uh, the first arrivals came in week one, and they had their own plan. And then um, most of the other players came in week two, and they have their own plan. And basically, the the objective was for week three to have the unified squad to train at a similar level for the first time um it is kind of a blessing for them to have this long preseason for this weird uh adapting to happen uh however um jules was telling us uh the presser was on monday for the people listening uh and uh he was saying that alias struna wasn't even was still in quarantine uh, uh, was it Joaquin Torres was still in quarantine and by the by Monday's training camp uh, team MVP Romel Kyoto had only had three training sessions in his in, in his body um, so it's still very much a walk before you run situation uh, but you really get the sense that this is a this is a situation where 2020 and the the whole mess that 2020 was with the you know uh season stop 
restart and then the stage one, two, three with the Zoom training and the getting access to training to the training facilities and everything. They'll re they really have learned um, and it, it, it'll be easier now than it was because of what went in 2020. Uh, Nancy has a lot of new signings to work with. Uh, we spoke about it. Uh, no fewer than nine acquisitions from Montreal this offseason. Just to name a few, U.S. International, Georgi Mihalovic, uh, Eric Quintado, Kamal Miller, uh, Sorhan Basson. Uh, they also graduated four academy players. Uh, they got the loan of Joaquin Torres from Newell New Old Boys. Uh, which of the new signings do you think will, will make the biggest impact? If you look at it by the uh, size of the acquisition, uh, Georgia Mihailovic is probably the one that people are going to look most to just by the the promise uh, that uh, he brings that, you know, he's still 22 and he signed kind of a bridge deal. If I if I could use the non soccer uh, expression and he knows he knows that the new CF Montreal Olivier Renard mentality is to, to pick young players and then. Uh, springboard them into a big money European signing, or at least a European signing. So I think you look at you look at a guy like Mihailovic, and and they're going to try and really incorporate him into that midfield. Uh, when it comes to Montreal and just what Montreal fans want, it's just a guy that can score goals, and you have to look at a guy like Bjorn Johnson in terms of a guy that's has you know he's been hopping from team to team uh but the guy's got number nine in his back and the guy is probably the most interesting player on the team uh he is um for the few the the for the few press avails and the few interviews he gave uh seem seem like a guy who's been through some stuff and he he's kind of uh, fought through and come out the other side and now he's back in uh in North America, uh, where he was born, to kind of you know revive his career at 29, and you know a guy coming in like this, one of the oldest players on the squad, and a guy who um, literally doesn't have the same profile as 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 any of the players on this team, uh, a, a tall guy who can head the ball, and if you look at the rest of the squad, you have a lot of wingers and and wingbacks. That can have that um, capability or that ability to cross the ball, so you finally have a, a guy in Bjorn Janssen that can head the ball and that can create off of these crosses that um, the impact or the impact then at CF Montreal now have been bringing in order to you know help the offensive threat. So. If he starts and starts scoring goals early, Bjorn Janssen is probably going to be a fan favorite in Montreal or in Fort Lauderdale, depending on whatever. Uh, but yeah, I'm looking at a guy like Janssen. I'm looking at a guy like Mihailovic. And for what it's worth, not that he's a new signing, or I I'm really intrigued uh, by by Joaquin Torres. There's a, there's a lot of great potential, but... I don't know. This can feel like a bust. Uh, easily could be a bust, but it, he also easily could be an impactful player. It's a really a crapshoot when it comes to this guy. I, I would probably agree, just based on what I've seen of him. You, you maybe addressed it, Tristan, already, but really when you look at everything on paper, 
it seems like Montreal addressed almost all of the squad's weaknesses from center back to to striker. Would you agree with that? Or do you think that there's maybe still one concern when you look at the overall squad? It's an interesting question because I, I a lot of it is going to depend on how much of an impact Georgia Mihailovic is going to have in midfield because if he can bring uh, that and he's got number eight as I'm as I'm finding out right now, uh, which is always an interesting number in Montreal, uh, having been worn by one Patrice Bernier and and one Safir Tider, so you know no pressure, kid, but. Um, yeah, I think if he really brings what's been lacking in the midfield when when it comes to uh, you know being creative and and we saw we saw Samuel Piet kind of do that in his, in his like remodeled role a little bit yes uh, last year, um, although I'm sure when he saw Georgia Mihailovic just signing he probably breathed a sigh of relief in terms of what he can bring and uh, not having that much offensive pressure. But if he can bring that link up in the midfield, uh, something that Safir Taider had trouble at times doing because he himself was saying that he was more of a defensive midfielder. But if he can bring uh, some sort of a link up uh, that can really tie in uh, a guy like, you know, a, a guy like Romel Kyoto, a guy like uh, like Janssen, and, and not having to put all the pressure on uh, on a Zach Broguillard or on a Mustafa Kisa who seem very promising players, but uh, if that if that number eight in uh, in Mihailovic can really show up, I think it'll be it'll really shine on on CF Montreal and in the players that they've brought in. After that, you know, a lot of it is a lot of it is a crapshoot in terms of you don't know what they're going to be bringing. Uh, I'm, when you look at Torres, when you look at Struna, uh, who uh, his time in Houston was just was not great, but uh, by the end of uh, his time in Houston, Romel Kyoto was not great. So who am I? You know. <laughs> uh, after then, after that, uh, it'll be interesting. I think that they could. I wasn't expecting that many signings in a COVID situation to be really honest with you guys there's players that uh we have no clue what they can bring ahmed hamdi i you know i'm not going to lie to you guys i don't know what he's going to be bringing <laughs> but uh then again uh we were in a similar situation last year when a guy named emmanuel maciel came in right where everything dropped down and, and pandemic happened so we as journalists had no eyesight at, as to what he could bring. And then the first game he plays, he sends a tremendous assist pass to uh, to uh, an over-the-top through ball in in a game against TFC, no less, for Romel Kyoto. So there's going to be surprises. And then there's all of the academy players, some of which went on on loan, and then some of which who stayed, and I've got intel in terms of the reason they stayed is because they believe they can have some time and they can crack the lineup. And I'm looking at a guy like Sean Rea, who's an attacking midfielder, Jean Yelassi, who is uh, who is also in the midfield and he played a few minutes during the Champions League game. So there's going to be a lot of surprises. And there's Mason Toy, who we were talking a little about a little bit about that off air. People forgot about Mason Toy because he played like five minutes sometime in 2020 and he didn't really bring all that much. 
So it, there's still a lot of question marks around this team. And, you know, while there will be surprises, I'm not sure I'll be all that surprised by the surprises. <laughs> just, 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 it's, it's, the, it's the aura around this, this Montreal squad. Yeah, never a dull moment in Montreal. Uh, th that's usually the guarantee, and that's part of the reason why I kind of like watching it from afar. But Tristan, I uh, want to thank you for watching it uh, up close and giving us all that context and all the details as well. Tristan, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks, guys. Moving over to another head-wracking subject, Thomas. Um, Toronto FC and Forge FC, who were obviously supposed to play in the Canadian Championship final, which I believe was actually pretty much scheduled for March 20th. It's now been postponed again. It was postponed again late last week, officially, and as a result, Toronto FC takes the Champions League berth and will face Leon on April 7th in the first leg of their Champions League matchup. Both Forge and TFC agree to that decision. In the end, just because Forge still hasn't been granted permission to train, so with all this said, Thomas, will this final actually be played, given that TFC is going to be moving to Florida for the MLS season, um, and Forge will obviously be playing in Canada, or do you think that it'll just end up being cancelled in the end? Well, I think the game will happen eventually, one day, but it won't have the same meaning as it normally does. Toronto FC now taking the Champions League berth, um, and they will be facing uh, Leon uh, April 7th and the 14th. Um, going down to Mexico and playing their home game in, in Orlando at Explorer Stadium. But, you know, I don't see this as a bad as a bad idea. I think if you think of it this way, Forge wasn't allowed to train at this point and they weren't going to be allowed to train still. They still weren't getting um, – they still were not getting permission by the Ontario government. So if this game would have gone through, just because TFC were already – uh, training for uh, six to five weeks, five to six weeks, this game could have got ugly considering how uh, one TFC player makes more than the entire roster <laughs> of Forge. Uh, in a way, uh, Toronto FC has played the CONCACAF Champions League uh, many times before, so they already know what to expect with the traveling, the hostile environments and whatnot. You know, uh, Forge FC would be hosting um, the Canadian Championship at Timorans Field. I think that's a good thing um, just because if this game goes ahead in September, October of next year, of this year, uh, excuse me, um, and there's a chance that they can get fans uh, in the stadium, it could be good for them uh, revenue-wise. Um, but yeah, Forge, um, have. let's not forget the CPL season, uh, not just this year, but usually it starts around May, June, depending if the weather allows it. MLS usually starts a lot sooner. But I think uh, overall, this solution uh, made sense. Uh, Canada Soccer, um, I'm sure they had a play, they had a role uh, to play with it uh, when, when meeting with both parties. In a way, it, it sort of benefits um, Toronto FC a bit more, uh, just because uh, they sort of uh, don't get to come back to Canada until whenever this final will be played, uh, probably uh, by the end of this year. Um, but they can go, they can go. Um, they can go already with their. They can go on with their season, I guess. Uh, not only in the MLS, but in Concacaf Champions League, and Forge are sort of in the same spot as they were before. But yeah, CPL clubs. Uh, no CPL club has gone granted uh, their wish to train. Uh, so that needs to be sorted out before the, this game can even go through. Well, yeah, exactly. That this was the whole obstacle, really, and the fact that it hasn't been 
approved yet is kind of insane because Forge had apparently been requesting permission to train since as early as November. And Canada Soccer were adamant that they wanted to play this uh, final in quarter one of the year, which ended, I believe, pretty much March 31st, I guess, right at the end of March is is when quarter one officially ended. And if they couldn't fit it in there, they were going to have to postpone it because obviously the winner has to play in the Champions League. Um, I just don't see how they're going to get this done, to be honest with you. Maybe if there's, which I imagine there will be, there's a break for the Gold Cup in the MLS season. There, there might be a break in the schedule for uh, the CPL when they when they break around the same time. Maybe then TFC can come back into Canada, play this, or Forge goes down to the U.S. and I don't know, something would have to be done. I just don't know how they're going to be able to do this unless there's some sort of a gap in the schedule um, and there's time to quarantine or the quarantine rules are relaxed at that point. We just don't know because obviously there are pieces that are moving during the pandemic. It, it really is just unfortunate how this has all played out because I feel no matter what decision was taken, you're going to upset some people with this. And that's just the reality that we're living in now. Speaking of complications and upsetting people and whatnot, Thomas, the Olympic squad, um, that was finally unveiled. Mauro Biello's 20-man roster was officially revealed on Wednesday. Notably, no TFC players made the cut due to the COVID-19 outbreak at the club. Um, and Biello mentioned that really logistical issues would have made it tough for them to attend the camp and then play at least some role in the tournament. This is what Biello had to say about that. You know, it's unfortunate that the timing of all this with the TFC players uh, uh, falls uh, right in the middle of our tournament. And uh, for me, uh, it made it very difficult uh, to select uh, some of the TFC players, uh, having some players short for the first game and then arriving, uh, not training for two weeks, uh, having a quarantine when they arrive and then throw them into a second game, uh, you know, basically a day after, uh, which really didn't make uh, much sense, uh, which is unfortunate. And yes, it did affect, uh, impact a little bit the the squad, uh, for sure, some of those players that you mentioned have a certain experience uh, and, and uh, uh, could have helped the, the team, the depth of this team. And Thomas, your thoughts overall, because you did ask uh, Mauro Biello this question, your, your thoughts on the fact that certain TFC players couldn't join up with the squad, thus, uh, I wouldn't say leave, leave, left them weaker, but certainly it didn't help Biello's case. Yeah, yeah. So Toronto FC having a they're having a COVID nineteen outbreak of nine nine either players or staff. It's really unfortunate because three or four TFC players would have made this roster, uh, four at best, and, and they're not gonna get to experience that. Amara Bilo, you, you just mentioned, uh, we just listened to him now uh, talk about uh, the conversations he had with the club uh, with Chris Harmas, Alec Curtis, general manager Alec Curtis. Obviously, it's not easy. Uh, he, he said it's in an unfortunate situation uh, for both the club and national team. But, you know, the national team is sort of a second second option. The clubs have final say in ev- across every single confederation. Yep. Yep. Uh, it's an unfortunate thing. Uh, Vancouver, on the other hand, were very, very, very uh, good with this, uh, with the omission of Thomas Hassel. Uh, Montreal, same thing. Montreal were very open to to get their players uh, on the national team, uh, as very very as uh, very a lot of players from Montreal uh, were in this uh, roster. 
some notable missions as well uh, coming from Europe. Uh, Harry Patton, who plays for Ross County in the Scottish Premiership. Uh, Dane Sinclair, uh, Minnesota United goalkeeper. He had a great run uh, with him in the playoffs. Uh, he is now uh, being reported that uh, the reason why he wasn't called up to this team wasn't only because uh, Minnesota United didn't let him go, uh, because but because he will be called up to the, the senior national team. So expect to see uh, James Pantamas uh, as a number one in this tournament. Now, it's worth noting that, you know, as, as I mentioned before, clubs cannot release if it's not FIFA mandated. Uh, Harry Pan, as you mentioned on the tweet, he was left off the bench. Uh, so it's it's an interesting thing. Um, he was actually asked about that uh, as why Harry Pan wasn't allowed to travel. And, and here's what he said. Uh, one player uh, in particular, Harry Payton, who's a starter for Ross County in the Scottish Premiership. Uh, they had two games uh, lined up uh, uh, leading into into our tournament and, and would overlap uh, before the uh, uh, before the FIFA window. And uh, at that point, they, they had the choice and, uh, you know, did not release him uh, to come in uh, with the Olympic team. I'd look, I think it's uh, it's normal. It's not something it's it's like that for for a lot of teams. Uh, when it's a youth tournament, they'll have the clubs have the final say on those uh, on those decisions. Yeah, the whole Peyton situation was j- just so confusing, but it's also not the first time this has happened because Peyton has been a second-half substitute um, in Ross County's now last four games, but he was a second-half substitute again in the team's loss to Hibernian, one of the two games that Biello talked about as, as being like the important games. Now, the split in the Scottish Premiership occurs after the St. Johnston match, which is the second big game, quote-unquote. Um, and, and that's big in the relegation race. But that has to sting for Biello to, to see Harry Payton um, <laughs> omitted, essentially, from the 11, put on the bench, and then he's really not playing that big of a role. And, and it's shocking overall, just because he is one of the more proactive players in that Ross County squad. I understand he's made an impact off the bench recently, but... You know, given that they were up 1-0 in that Hibs game and then lost 2-1, I wonder if Harry Payton starting from the very beginning would have maybe helped them get a big result. You know, look, Thomas, it's not the first time this has happened. It's not the last time this this has happened. But, I mean, that has to sting for Biello, does it not? It does. Um, also, another guy that, you know, was left off this team is, is Theo Corbanio. It would have been great to have him on, on this team. Unfortunately, he doesn't make uh, the call. Um, you know, could be a, a national team call up in the cards. We'll see. I'm, I'm told some stuff, but we'll have to see what happens. But, you know, it, it's it's unfortunate. Um, the rest of the roster is actually constructed. I'm really happy with the defense, uh, particularly, um, you know, to have two C-Bellers. In, in the case for uh, David Norman Jr., I don't I don't understand it quite a lot. Um, he didn't play all of 2020 with, with Inner Miami, uh, but it's great to have uh, Thomas Malay-Jaguer. He's only 23 years old, and he has so much experience. Um uh, Zachary Brochelard, who has, you know, already senior caps for the national team. Derek Cornelius, same thing. Marcus Godinho. Um, Callum Montgomery, who has been playing in the USL uh, very consistently. Uh, in the midfield, as we said, um, very thin. Uh, but Michael Baldissimo, uh, I know you rate him very highly, Peter. Yes, um, he's also on this roster as well. Interesting, interesting enough, uh, Sebastian Bressa, a player for Bologna. Uh, he's also in the roster. Um, he comes back as Thomas Hassel wasn't allowed to leave by by Vancouver. But uh, in, in up front, uh, we're not looking so bad. Tejan Buchanan, 
Charles Andre Brim, uh, also from Belgium. Uh, Balu Tabla making a return. Yeah. Uh, interesting to see what, what he can bring. Uh, Chris Twardek and Theo Bear. Uh, but on the midfield, uh, Peter, you actually asked Mara Biel about uh, uh, Lucas Diaz. And um, here's what uh, Mara Biel had to say about him. You know, this is a young player that we've been following uh, for, for uh, you know, almost uh, six months. Uh, I think he plays at a U23 level with sporting, which is a good level. He has rhythm. He's been playing. He's doing well over there. Uh, yes, it's a young player. Um, it's a player that I've had some remote conversations with, gone over some of the tactics. It's a player that uh, I feel could fit in uh, and contribute to this team based on his qualities. Uh, it's a player that could play a final pass, that could receive a ball uh, between lines, can connect triangles. Um, so uh, we're excited about him. He's 18 years old. We know Portugal has also invited him in um, into uh, uh, pre other youth teams. Uh, so for us to have him in and live our identity and, and be in the environment, I think it's important. Um, but I also think he could contribute on the field for us. I mean, Thomas, and I think some of the listeners now will probably know just how highly I rate Lucas Diaz, and it really would not surprise me if he is starting in that opener against El Salvador, because he is that good. He's in form, which I think is really the big one, and I think he'll help carry that midfield a lot. Now, in, in hindsight, having looked more thoroughly at the squad, Thomas, uh, I, I think from both of our perspectives, given what... Biello faced and given the path that Canada has to take in order to qualify for Tokyo what do you think of the team's chances now that you've had a bit of time to digest it all so on the team's chances I think this this squad can can take us to um maximum semifinals uh, just because I think the midfield uh component and just because the the players have ne have never played with each other before uh, and that has to do with the pandemic, of course. Uh, when we compare this team to the U.S. and Mexico team, uh, just because only two teams, let's not remember people who don't know, only two teams from CONCACAF uh, qualify to the Olympics, uh, not three as it is in the other case for other regions. Um, hopefully I'm wrong. I really, really hope I'm wrong in saying this, but I think this team will will will, um, will fall will fall short, just short of their goal. Um, Canada, the first game uh, is on the 19th against El Salvador. Uh, then they then they play against Haiti on 22nd, three days later, and three days after that against Honduras, both in Guadalajara and Zapopan. I am really conflicted when it comes to this team's chances, just because I think there are parts of it that are very, very good. I think Theo Bear is probably the favorite to lead the line. I think just because they are in season, or he is in season. Um, Chris Twardek is probably going to get one of those spots on the wing. This has provided Canada place, 4-3-3. And then I imagine Tejon Buchanan is going to be on the other wing. Uh, he can also play right back, which I think is is noteworthy, because if one of Godinho or Zachary Brokiar need a rest, um, or they're just chasing a game and they want a, a more attack-minded, you know, an even more attack-minded fullback, uh, he can fill that role. James Pantamus, Thomas, you mentioned, probably going to be the number one. I imagine th th this is where I get really, really confused because I, I feel like it's going to be Baldissimo, Metcalf, and Diash in the midfield just because Baldissimo and Metcalf are familiar with each other. Um, you couple that with the fact that they 
no Theobear, and one of the men I'm going to mention in the defense momentarily. This is the area that I just don't know what to make of it, because you have three very attack-minded fullbacks, uh, well, two quite attack-minded fullbacks, and one who's very good all around um, in Zorian Basong, who's really the only out-and-out left-back in the squad right now. Broguiar and Godinho, pretty decent getting forward defensively, especially in defensive transition. I worry about them um, a lot. And I feel Derek Cornelius is going to be the locked-on starter at left-sided centre-back. But from there, it's about the type of centre-back you want next to him. And out of all the players that were called up who can play centre-back, Thomas, um, all of them are left-footed and or experienced as a left-sided centre-back. That's Thomas mayer Jiguer, that's Callum Montgomery, even David Norman is a left-footer. So if you want to move him into the defence, that could cause a few weird issues, I feel. Um, but I feel like if there's one favour to start... Next to Cornelius, it could be Mayur Giguere because I feel like of all the left footers, he is the most two-footed. And I feel like he could play on the right side decently well. If you're looking at the potential opponents, you know, I I just don't know if, for example, they're going to be able to get past a Honduras because... I think that they can beat El Salvador, who, you know, are currently in season right now. Haiti is not in season. They should be able to beat Haiti. But Honduras is in season. And Fabian Coito, who is coming from a very strong Uruguayan youth setup and has been in charge of that for years prior to joining the Honduran Federation, uh, he's worked with these Honduran players for two or three years now. There are plenty of players who've played together already, uh, including at the Pan Am Games in Peru in 2019. You have... Douglas Martinez, you have Kervin Arriaga, and you have three or four of the starting defenders from that team in this squad. So I feel like familiarity and chemistry alone are going to help um, Honduras. But again, it's only the top two teams that advance to the semifinals. So even if Canada finishes second, they can still face one of the U.S. or Mexico more than likely. From there, I'm not too confident about their chances. But looking at the overall, I do like the fact that there are some players there who are familiar with each other, whether that's through uh, past senior camps or just by playing on the same club. That might help them a little bit. It's the defense, though, that just makes me go, I don't know how they're going to fare against slightly better opponents and even opponents who can hit them in transition as well. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to disagree here. I, I'm a bit confident. I'm a bit more confident than you are in, in defense. I think... Um... Either in right back position, I think we're good. Um, watching Sorham Song, a uh, very strong left back, and Derek Cornelius. I mean, he, he, some people have even said he's he's even our strongest uh, center back um, in the national senior team, not let alone the U23. Um, and James Pantham, he already has MLS experience. So um, for me, is who is going to put the ball in the back of the net? And I think one guy that could do that and may do that uh for me is uh charles andres brim um he's already debuted um in the belgian league uh knowing that the belgian league is a very strong league uh, probably top 15 in the world uh it's not easy to to play there um coming from Lille's setup hopefully hopefully he does uh quite well i also got a chance to to speak to an interview in the past um chris twardek uh, ottawa native who's playing in, in poland uh getting a lot of minutes there Interesting what he can do. Uh, but again, Fabian Coito did very, very, very well um, 
with Uruguay uh, U20 team. Uh, he he brought them quite far. Yep. And again, uh, Honduras has a very very good names, um, some talented uh, players on their roster. It's it's interesting because Concacaf put Mexico and the United States in the same group. Uh, you know, the group of death and Costa Rica, let alone Costa Rica. So it's a, the, you put Costa Rica, Mexico, and the U.S. in the same group, the group of death in Group A. Uh, only two of them are going to get out of that group. Uh, if indeed it is, uh, obviously, what everyone should be expect uh, for the U.S. and Mexico to get out of that group. At worst case scenario, Peter, uh, you know, Canada could finish second uh, in this group uh, behind Honduras. Uh, worst case scenario. Uh, but either way, I just in the semifinals, um, we're going to be in trouble. That's really the the one roadblock, right? Is that if they finish second, Mexico probably likely wins the group. That team is loaded. It's stacked with really like like Juan Macias is in that team, which is nuts. Like th- this is a guy who could be pushing for the number nine spot with Mexico and the, the senior team, um, given that uh, Jimenez is still coming back from his head injury and um, Chicharito is not in good form and everything else. So like this is a guy who could very easily be starting for the senior team, and yet he is playing for the Olympic side. But mind you, Mexico has always taken the Olympics very seriously. And, and also Ural uh, Antuna. Yeah, as well. Yeah, and, uh, I mean, God, I could go through all the names, but there are so many guys on that team who could very easily be on that senior side, and they're on this Olympic team. So if they finish second and play Mexico, I feel like they're in trouble. One thing I want to push you on, Thomas, because you say you're confident in the defense. The concerns I raised you don't have those same concerns, I would assume. The fact that we have attack-minded right-backs, the fact that really outside of Derek Cornelius, who's going to start next to him, everybody's left-footed, and and just in general, they're also thin there. Now, they're also thin in the midfield, which I think could be a bit of an issue, um, but I'm just not as concerned about that just due to the past chemistry that those guys have. You Do you not have those same concerns about the defense as I do? So here's the thing. In the group stage, I think we'll be fine. Uh, I think we'll finish either first or second. Uh, But just how good are they going to do when they face guys like Sebastian Soto, Jonathan Lewis? Uh, I just don't know how they're going to do because you have to understand the U.S. side and the the Mexico side, almost all the players on that team are already first-team players. Yes. And it's it's not the case uh, so much for some of the defense that we – defenders that we have. The only difference being that Mexico is in form as opposed to the MLS hasn't started yet, so they're still training. Um, so I think that the Mexico has the advantage there. But yeah, I don't know. For me, it's just the midfield. I think we just lost so much with uh, without Theo Corbano uh, being there. Yeah, yeah. I just, I just want to see them do well. On paper, at least, this team may not be uh, Olympic quality. Um, but I also want to choose to believe. I want to choose to believe that these guys can get through and make it to Tokyo. Now, here's where it gets interesting, Peter. If if this Canadian team makes it to Tokyo, I wouldn't even, I wouldn't expect six of these guys to be on that team. You know, just because uh, the senior national team uh, of Canada just has. If this if this U twenty U twenty three side had the amount of talent that was actually eligible for this tournament we would finish uh, first place without a doubt. Okay, without a doubt is maybe a bit strong, but I I could see it. Um, (laughs) I mean, obviously David and Davies maybe push it over the top a little bit. But yeah, I mean, you you raise a good point in that if they make the Olympics, um, that is going to put this player pool to a very big challenge just because you have three 
competitions to balance in the World Cup qualifiers, the Gold Cup, and then the Olympics as well. The Olympics would happen a bit later, but still, you have to give guys rest and whatnot, so we'd have to see what what would transpire for sure. And let's not forget just the, just the buzz that it would create, you know, around um, Canadian soccer. Um, I think people would start to get curious. Uh, yeah. General sports fans would start to, you know, curious. The sports fans that before they before they didn't like basketball, then they started getting, getting into basketball. Before they didn't like rugby, Canada qualifies for the Rugby World Cup. All of a sudden, they start watching rugby. Same with tennis. Um, just what it could, just what it could do yeah. on a exposure level, I think would be amazing. You know, people right. would start to all of a sudden think, wait, what? World, we're, we're good. We're good in soccer and men's soccer. Uh, and um, but one one thing I'm at, I'm excited about this U23 side is because Canada has to play the Gold Cup in July, which surprisingly hasn't been canceled. I don't know if, what, how you feel about it, Peter, but because Canada has to play the Gold Cup and they have to play against Aruba and Suriname uh, in June, uh, just three days um, from each other, uh, they're going to have to pick two different teams, and you could definitely see certain players of this team that are going to be on on that team. Um, but it's going to be interesting. I'm not sure what kind of team um, he's going to Herman will pull together. He may prioritize uh, the World Cup uh, qualifying uh, just over the Gold Cup, knowing that the Gold Cup, the, th- the thing about the Gold Cup, because it's every two years, I feel like it loses a bit of value. I'm not sure if you agree with oh, me agree on there. Um, and, and again, no disrespect to Aruba and Suriname and these Mino countries, but the Gold Cup is sort of, it's, you know, it's, it's the region's, it's for me. I think value-wise, the Gold Cup is is a tournament. It's you know, it's it's more it's more important. But at the end of the day, I can understand why Herman will want to bring um, you know his top players to play against uh, these these small nations. Uh, and let's not get ahead of ourselves because Canada does have to play uh, March twenty fifth and twenty eighth, uh, which the roster should come out. Um, uh, I think this week, no, this week or, or early next week. Early next week, yeah. Um, exactly, early next week. Uh, so I'll leave you with this. If South American nations had issues uh, getting players from Europe on their teams, I have no doubt in my mind that that CONCACAF teams will, will have issues as well. Well, the, the big advantage that CONCACAF, at least Canada has is that they're going to be playing in the U.S., and there are some countries in Europe, the U.K. specifically is one of them, that does allow you to travel to and from the U.S. without quarantining, and there are other countries that allow you to travel back and forth uh, under certain exceptions without having to quarantine either the full you know, 10 to 14 days or at all. So I think that for some Countries, it might be okay. I think Germany is one where the U.S. is classified as high risk, so they would require quarantine out of an Alfonso Davies. France is another one, too, I believe. Um, So Jonathan David would have to quarantine. I don't think for very long, and I think the game he would miss wouldn't be a marquee game, and Lille have the depth to cope. Provided he doesn't miss that big PSG match in a couple of weeks, I think Leo might be okay with it. But again, we'll just have to see what happens, right? Um, And I think, Thomas, one player that John Herman would like to have uh, at his disposal, provided he's allowed to go, is Kyle Lahren, who scored again over the weekend, his 14th league goal for Besiktas. Your your thoughts overall on, yet again, him scoring, and, and whether you think that... Uh, he is now the favorite to lead the line for Canada, provided he is going to be there. Yes, yes. If, if Kyle Aaron is in the squad uh, for the March window, 
um, in my opinion, he's he's in my starting eleven. And you know, I just put our poll out, and eighty percent of people actually agree agree with that. He is in form. He's banging in goals. Um, although something has to be said. Uh, when he was informed, when he was scoring a lot of goals for Orlando City, it didn't exactly translate to national team game. Now, he's also, he scored a lot of goals for Canada, but those goals have been against little uh, min, uh, countries, minnows to say the least. So I, I think this is Kyle Aaron's chance, not not in this window particularly, but in this cycle, uh, once Canada um, gets through certain stages and they start to play bigger nations in CONCACAF in the region. This is his chance to really show uh, uh, John Herman and his coaching staff, hey, uh, I'm reliable. You can count on me. And not only you can count on me against bigger, uh, against smaller nations, but against bigger teams. Um, in a way, competition uh, for the four position has sort of shrunk a little bit. Junior Hoyle is not playing uh, regularly in the championship. Uh, Liam Miller is playing in League One. Uh, Lucas Cavallini um you know he had a he had a poor start with uh, with Vancouver. Finished strong, but you know he he wasn't. In, it's not like he was in his regular form when he was with Puebla. Uh, so it, it, taking all that in, into into context, I think Kyle Lahren, uh You have him on your starting eleven as a winger, Jonathan David up front as your center forward, and Alfonso Davies on the left. Completely, one hundred percent agreed with that. Um... I will say this, he is outperforming, Laren I'm talking about here, he is outperforming his expected goals this season. He has 14 league goals, about 0.6 goals per 90 minutes, but that's from about 9.5 expected goals or 0.41 XG per 90. That would still be a very good return for a player who's predominantly played on the wing, but pretty much everything he's touching is going in. He is recording a lot of high-quality shots, which I think makes a massive difference because more often than not... I mean, it, it's simple mathematics, and it's also just, you know, simple a simple logic. If you take more high-quality shots, you have a better chance of scoring them. But I think what's interesting, too, is, is that he's also become a bit more of a chance creator, thanks to him being a second striker predominantly during his loan at Zulta Voregem in Belgium. He is now, as a winger with Besiktas, posting point. 1-2 open play expected assists per 90 minutes, which is a pretty solid return. And that's why I feel he has to be one of the wingers with, provided he is there, Jonathan David leading the line. Um, and just the fact that Laren is scoring a lot of goals by shadowing behind defenders late and executing those late runs into the box, that is reason alone for him to be a winger because he can't really do that as a striker unless there are wingers who like operating in the box, whether that's an Alfonso Davies or somebody else. Um, I think... If you were to go with two strikers up front, then Laren could possibly do it. But him and David are kind of similar as strikers that, you know, it could be a good way for them to play off each other. David drops deep, Laren kind of cuts inside and, and you know, maybe fills in the, those positions that way. Without David, I would play Laren in a strike partnership uh, with Davies or somebody else like him in that mold so that he can drop deep and do those things that he has been doing with Besiktas that have allowed him to get to this point right now. So, um, But he absolutely should be starting. And also the fact that he is in form means that it should be a no-brainer at this point. I don't know why, Peter, but I have a feeling, and it's not a good one. I think out of our European players, there will be some... I just don't think all, all clubs will quite just say to Canada soccer, 
we allow our players to go abroad and play against these these countries. I think that's fair. I think it's going to happen, by the way, that there will definitely be omissions. Yeah, no, 100%. It's just which omissions and which positions and what players specifically. But if that happens, that's where I'm scared because our depth will be tested. And we have more depth in some positions than others. And we can certainly count on a lot of domestic players. There were a lot of players in between the senior national team and the U23 side that were omitted from the U23 side. So part of me is thinking if those players were omitted from the U23 side, we might see them in the senior national team in case some top players aren't allowed to go, which there will be some. Oh yeah, I'm excited you know, to see uh, Canada's assistant coach, Remco Mbensettini, uh, who was the former head coach of the Curacao national team. Um, he convinced many dual nationals of Curacao heritage who are playing in Erevidis, Erevidis being a top league, not only in Europe, but around the world. He has experience against Herbie nations. Yes. Let's not forget yes. that. So even if it's, I don't know, I don't know, just to give you an example, Peter, even if it's the first time Canada faces Suriname in six years, Benson Tini probably faced him like two years ago. <laughs> And probably twice that year. Between the Caribbean Cup and then the Nations League or, or the Gold Cup and what have you, like th- they will have played a lot against each other. So, yeah, that's certainly very valuable to have. Um, quick note as well, Canada's first opponent, um, which is Bermuda, they're dealing with a COVID outbreak themselves. Um, they, th- This is so weird. They played a match in the U.S., then they went back to Bermuda, they came back, and someone got the virus and now everybody's quarantining. Apparently they won't be released until I believe it's a day or two before the actual match. So some guys might actually be at risk of not making the squad or just not being able to play. So that could be an interesting wrinkle. And apparently FIFA laws state that you need at least 13 eligible players to avoid forfeiting a game. So if Bermuda can't provide 13 eligible and available players... Canada could win that game by a 3-0 forfeit, which is interesting. That's an interesting statistic, and to say that I was worried about our depth. Yeah, I think Bermuda has much bigger problems right now than John Herdman. Uh, They're they're definitely a lot more thin than Canada. Yeah, they could be a lot more thin, that's for sure. Well, my friend, I think that's going to do it for us this week. Um, Pack show, you can follow the show at Northern Football on Twitter. Uh, Please subscribe to us wherever you listen whether that's apple whether that's spotify wherever it happens to be and please be so kind and leave us a review let us know how we're doing and if there's anything you want us to improve on as well for thomas neff i'm peter galindo and we will talk to you guys same place next week <laughs>